Um, but what, what I want to say is in terms of what happens next, beyond that, there is obviously the neoliberal counter-revolution or passive revolution or however you want to talk about it, um, where there's a direct confrontation with labor, where it kind of seeks to not respond anymore to, to labor's demands um, for, for increases in wages and so on, um, but also debt. You know, debt massively important, and you have this massive expansion of capital markets, um, and uh, you know, as of as of kind of the the oil crisis, um, the oil shocks, and that it takes the form both of public debt and then in, in increasingly private debt as as you go into the nineties. Um, and what's amazing, kind of reading this from our perspective and looking back at the two thousand eight crisis, um, just to jump ahead, is the way that um, you know these supposedly inevitable legitimation crisis um, somehow doesn't materialize really with with the 2008 crisis. Okay, we're going to say, of course, we can discuss a lot more about that, but it's kind of like they kind of got away with it, right? So a lot of the things that Habermas is saying that like the state is in a wedge, it's, it, causes, it has a real problem for itself because it sets up that it will resolve all these problems and then it's kind of unable to and it's ha- and is people withdraw legitimacy because of it what ends up happening is that the state is able to go, yeah, we're not doing anything, right? We're not, we're, we're kind of at the most taking responsibility for economic stability through massive bailouts, but that gets paid out in terms of austerity to the mass of the population. And what happens? Kind of nothing. People just accept it. And so that's a very radically different world to mm-hmm. the one Habermas is in, where you have a much more engaged citizenry, despite all his points, which we'll come to, about um, civic privatism. Yeah, I'm not sure that's right. So I think the... Um... I think the point about it's not so much the citizenry is engaged, it's more, I think, the ways in which the various apparatus of the state and its administrative, you know, kind of arms relate the justifications that they give for their own activity. Um, a transform. Well, I, I so I don't think it's dependent I think demands, on, social demands yeah, are it's institutionalized. So I think that's, but that's not quite the same thing as saying that, you know, it's not as if um, you could say that, you know, I don't know, the average citizen is necessarily more engaged directly. No, no, that, you're right. That's a fair he makes, yeah. You know, he makes an important point, I think, about civic privatism. So it's important not to kind of mythologize, retrospectively mythologize this period as a great kind of era of... Um, you know, it's a great era of uh, yeah, polit- yeah, civic involvement and, yeah. you know, yeah, and political energy and so on. You know, a lot of it is kind of uh, passive in a different kind of way. Well, in fact, in that's the, the whole point of the new left. It was like, you're all conformist. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> right. You know, so, I mean, it's the new left was partly a revolt against all of this, like bureaucrats of trade union leaders um, and all of their allies kind of sitting together with state functionaries, sitting together with corporate bureaucrats and cutting deals in back rooms and, you know, all of that. So, I mean, it was partly... so. Anyway, I think the point about civic privatism is actually well made, you know, that it kind of it necessarily has to function on the basis of civic privatism. And that's that was that's an important point, I think. So um, just just to um, what is civic privatism? Well, it's that idea, the sense of a withdrawal that there is we leave we um, we have our private sphere that's autonomous and separate from these other um from these other kind of uh, these other elements, because we rely upon the state and its administrative uh, functioning to res- to administer certain parts of society and deal with certain kinds of issues and problems. So it's base. It's predicated. He's making a good point. It's predicated on a kind of um, public withdrawal. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess I just wanted to to ask a final question on on this and then try and sum it up a little bit for listeners, because I think this is a really crucial part of the whole the whole book. And I think particularly hearing the two of you guys talk about, you know, how are problems created and who should solve them? That's almost like the, <clears throat> you know, he obviously, Habermas wouldn't put it in those terms, but that, you know, the creation of social problems and, and whether the state is responsible or not, that's really at the core of what the legitimation system is but yeah he talks he talks in you know only three paragraphs on the legitimation system and third one is on the structurally depoliticized public realm so one part of this as you know um just talked about is civic privatism as he puts it political abstinence combined with an orientation to career leisure and consumption but yeah this idea of a structure very much very much west germany i think perhaps i mean Mm. perhaps more so than the other um you know more so i think perhaps than um say france or italy or even perhaps britain of the era um you know so i think that perhaps doesn't extend quite as far as he might imagine i think that's much more kind of the historic context of western germany where politics is you know seen to be um to lead to fascism do i guess my question is do do we have a structurally depoliticized public realm today or what is the importance of this of this term because i think this is another kind of um conceptual part one one last point if i could um which you know and also if listeners want to help us out with this question of how he's reading adolescence and counterculture um whether he thinks it's um you know provoking a revolt or whether it'll just be incorporated let us know um but one final point because it's about civic privatism which i think is very central again as we've discussed and i think we all agree that it remains essential in capitalism um actually we can refer to the episode that we did with um vivek chibber on his book which also touches on this in a, in a, in a certain way where you know effectively, you know, privatism, demoralization, etc., which are not the same thing. But anyway, um, that those function to kind of uh, keep the system stable. Um, and one of the interesting things he notes, which is on page 72, is the way that private life has become increasingly politicized. Um, of course, he's referring to the kind of 1960s and the sexual revolution, but is very much relevant to our times where these questions are very alive and very conflictual and are come down to very important questions of identity, much more than they did in the 1960s and 70s. Um, The stirring up of cultural affairs that are taken for granted thus furthers the politicization of areas of life previously assigned to the private sphere. So what does that mean when, especially today, that the private, the private sphere has become a war zone of competing claims? Um, we're all, we're constantly assailed by these different claims. We're asked to think about who we are all the time and what we believe about all these questions, which are um, at once very intimate about, you know, who you fancy or what gender you're going to be or whatever, all the way up to kind of big geopolitical and climatic questions and whatnot, um, effectively hyperpolitics. And does that make us more quiescent or more prone to revolt, right? Um, does this enhance privatism or, or undo it? It undoes it, I think, because it's not a settled, you know, it can't be treated at least for the kind of, um, you know, the kind of socially engaged middle classes. It becomes this kind of tormented realm where you have to make everything, even kind of uh, basic decisions, become matters that have to be kind of publicly demonstrated or affected. Um, 
and I suppose on one hand it's liberatory or oppressive, however you want to see it, but it's not, it doesn't seem to me it's like that settled, that settled sphere into which you can comfortably withdraw. Mm. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I think it's doubly um, quiescence inducing because it's, it's obviously related to what he talked about earlier, this structural depoliticization of the public realm. It's almost like you have a structural depoliticization of the public realm and it's not quite structural. It's like um, disorganized politicization of the private sphere. And then this, you know, to, to the extent that it undermines that division between public and private and, and removes the, the kind of the, the precursors for political action in the private sphere, that's, you know, no bueno. And similarly, the way that it's, you know, part of that same dynamic that undermines the depolit or depoliticizes the public sphere that's not that's not great because all of the you know private problems um permit of kind of private solutions so it's it is it's atomizing and individualizing i mean this is not particularly you know i'm not not gonna go on too much on on that because it's not particularly an original um point but i think it's almost like so much a lot of the ideas in this chapter and this section are very interesting and once you actually kind of get get around some of the language it's um it's written in mm. because it could be you know i mean i'm not like grading Habermas's paper and saying you know write more clearly but that's kind of <laughs> a thought that that came to mind um when i was reading it yeah um very good i guess we'll leave that there um it, it seems like legitimation is hanging by a thread but it just happens to be a very very strong thread um, so, you know, that's the, that's the paradox, I guess. Anyway, um, I'm really looking forward to doing part three and then part four will, where we will draw broader themes, put these concepts to work, look at more contemporary questions, discuss through kind of what the crisis of the neoliberal age looks like. And if we can apply a sort of Habermasian approach to it, if that's useful at all, um, and draw in some, maybe some other readings, that'll be all in episode four. Um, but we have episode three before that, which is the final part of this book. Um, really, really looking forward to this. Um, it's, it's it's heating up you know the skillet is sizzling um the fish is frying the aromas are filling the air and um my lips are so moist okay catch you later thanks for listening bye-bye well hello listener i hope you like what you're hearing it's a short excerpt from an episode that's available only to subscribers want to support BungaCast and get at least two original episodes a month sign up at patreon.com slash right now $5 a month patrons get access to exclusive episodes like our in-depth analyses of present history. You know, the big stuff that's happening right now. As well as chats with our regular guests, extended interviews with the key thinkers trying to understand our world today, and much more. For $10 a month, you join the BungoCast Reading Club, the place for those of us who are serious about equipping ourselves with the necessary intellectual tools for understanding the world and seeking to change it. Phil, George, and myself, Alex, look forward to seeing you there. Patreon.com slash BungaCast.